0: So welcome again to Chick Nights. Um, very excited for this year and the new things that it's going to bring. Um, first of all, I want to welcome all of our campuses that are watching. We have our Faribault campus, Minatrista, Savage, and our very first women's event ever at our Edina area campus. So let's welcome them. Yes, and our our Burnsville girls are joining us at the Apple Valley campus tonight, so we're just thrilled to have all of our campuses represented. And in praying for this new year, I just really felt like God put the word purpose on my heart. And so I want to just go through this year a little bit and tell you what we have in store for 2013. And on your chair, you each should have a little card. just says events 2013. And so I just kind of want to go over that with you quickly to let you know what this year holds for all of us. Um, I know that Jamie mentioned it, but uh, March 17th is our next Chick Night. And you are not going to want to miss this, because we are going to have stories of women from our church, and it is just going to be a really fun night of learning about other women in our church's struggles and things that they've gone through and overcome, and so you're not going to want to miss it. Real women, real stories, that's our March Chick Night. Then in August, uh, we have special um, guest speaker August uh, in August, Susie Larson is going to be back with us. She was here a couple years ago. And she just wrote a new book, and I had asked her to speak even before I knew this, but the title of her book is Your Beautiful Purpose. So I'm like, okay, God, you're so cool. You always work everything out like that. So she's going to be with us in August, so really excited for that. And then, of course, in September is the Sparkle Conference, right? We are already gearing up and planning for Sparkle for this year. Lisa Bevere is going to be here as our guest speaker. And uh, if you're involved in the Moms group at all, you'll know that they're doing one of her studies right now called Lioness Arising. And so they're going to get to know her a little bit through that study and then she'll be here this fall. And I just want to encourage you, if you were not here for Sparkle this last year in 2012, Uh, Charlotte Gamble was our speaker and she literally just blew us all away and her messages are online and I would encourage if you haven't heard her messages, she talked about owning our zone as women, who do we influence in our zone, she talked about releasing offenses and not carrying offenses around, it was just incredible so if you have not heard those messages I'd really encourage you to go online and listen to those so that we all can be on the same page together. And then finally, we'll finish out our year with just a beautiful holiday dinner on November 8th, which is always just a nice, fun, relaxing evening. And then you'll see on the bottom of the card, it talks about our life groups, which, um, again, we had said tonight there'll be tables out in the lobby at all of our campuses for you to look and see what life group you'd like to be involved in. And then at the end, it says sisterhood coming in September. So I just want to share with you a little sneak peek um, God just put that on my heart again that as much as we can do together as women, just to encourage each other, you know, empower each other, we're going to be meeting weekly this fall. We're going to do sisterhood evenings on Wednesdays, sisterhood mornings on Thursday mornings, and we're just going to study God's word together. We're going to come together, be encouraged. We're going to be able to do some outreach projects and just really unify us as women in our church. So really excited for sisterhood this fall, so be praying about being a part of that as well. All right, so let's jump into the message for tonight. I want to talk to you about your purpose and your destiny. Um, I used to struggle with this a lot when I worked full-time in the marketplace. I was an accountant, and I would go every day to my cubicle, and I would sit there and crunch numbers all day, and After a few years, I was like, Lord, I just, is this, if this is my purpose, you know, that's great. I can reach the people at my workplace. But I just really started feeling restless. And I was like, God, what do you have for me? What is my purpose? And it was at that time that I read the book, The Purpose Driven Life, which I'm sure many of you have read. And in that, it it was great because it kind of took the burden off me a little bit because it said, We all have the purpose to know God, to serve Him, and to share Him with others right? We all have that same purpose in our life. So I kind of felt like, okay, I can do that. Wherever I'm at, I can know him, I can serve him, and I can share him with others. But then I also know, it says that we are each uh, designed individually, right? We're designed um, uniquely and for a purpose. And so for this year, I had one main goal. And not like my husband, who has like 37 goals for the church and 55 personal goals and, you know, 10 places he wants to visit this year. He's got lists upon lists upon lists of all these goals, which is amazing because he's just a really goal-oriented person. But for me, I'm like, okay, God, I want to know you more this year. That is my main goal. I want more of your presence in my life. And so that's really what I purpose to do. But in order to discover the purpose that God has for you, first of all, we have to believe that we have one, right? And this morning, um, this weekend, Rob talked about how God has made each of us a masterpiece. And it, was, and it was a great sermon, how we're just so unique and no one is like us. Every single person is different and we each have our own different callings. Um, God is a very purposeful God. He didn't create anything without a purpose. Every animal, every plant, every tree, every person, including you, was created for a purpose. The Bible says that God formed you in your mother's womb, and when he formed you, he had a purpose in mind. And again, this is the same scripture that Rob read this weekend, but it's so true. It says in Psalm 139, Oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Isn't that incredible? Before God created you, he had a plan and a purpose for your life. And he wants you to discover that and reach it to your fullest potential. Um, That's always been my heart for our women's ministry here at River Valley, is that each woman would realize her incredible value on this earth, how much she is loved, how much she is treasured, and the potential that each one of you have to fulfill your great destiny that God has for you. So I I always will, will say that and repeat that because that's what I want you to know. You're loved, you have a great potential, and God wants to fulfill that in you. So, And when you discover the gift that he's given you, it will bring energy and excitement to your life. And if you're not sure what that purpose is, sometimes you just have to look at the way you've been created. What are the things that you get excited about? What are the things that you love to do? If you look at the way something is made, it helps you understand the purpose of that thing. And I have an example tonight. (laughs) So, we all know what this is, right? This is a plunger. And this has a specific purpose, right? Yes. It unclogs toilets. very helpful in that situation. But if you didn't know what the purpose of this was, it wouldn't be very effective, right? I mean, we could maybe use it for a ring toss, or, I don't know, maybe a little bird bath <laughs> or something for hummingbirds, or, I mean, a hat would be absolutely ridiculous, right? But if you know what something is created for, it's very effective. And just like this plunger, God created you for a specific purpose. So if you don't remember anything else tonight, just remember, I am a plunger. (laughs) Not really, but you're created for a specific purpose, right? Understand that God is in control. And the more you get to know him, the more he will reveal that purpose to you. And tonight I want to talk about a guy named Joseph. And a lot of you may be familiar with this story, but just in case you're not, there was a guy named Joseph. And he was the youngest of 12 boys. And his father loved him very much. He was actually the favorite, and his father let everyone know that, which I don't recommend. Uh, and he also gave him a coat of many colors. It was this really beautiful coat that he gave to Joseph. He was the youngest. And he would let him stay home while all the other brothers had to go out into to work. And so they really, his brothers really hated him. They were very jealous of him. He got to stay home. He was the favorite. He had this beautiful coat. And so when Joseph was 17 years old, he had a dream. God gave him a dream and it showed that his family was bowing down to him. And now Joseph was immature enough to actually tell his dream to his family. He said, hey guys, guess what? Someday you're going to be bowing down to me. Well, they didn't like that too well. And there goes my earring. Um, it does that every time. Why do I wear one? I don't know. (gasps) Um, so, his, his brothers decided that they were gonna kill him because they hated him so much and were so jealous. So, they took him out one day and they threw him into this deep pit and they were gonna let him die there. Well, a couple of the brothers started feeling guilty, and they're like, oh gosh, I just don't know, we shouldn't kill him. How about if we get him out of the pit and just sell him into slavery instead? So, that's what they did. They got him out of the pit, and they took him to be sold, and he was sold to a man named Potiphar, who was a top official in the Egyptian government, and he went to work for Potiphar at his house, and during this time, God really blessed him, he prospered, and Potiphar made him in charge of his whole household. He trusted him, and he was also very handsome. Joseph was a handsome young man, and so Potiphar's wife started really being attracted to Joseph and and was trying to seduce him. And actually, one day, she pulled him in a room and wanted him to sleep with her. Well, Joseph was serving God and honoring God, and he ran away from her because he knew that that was wrong. Well, she ended up lying about him and saying that he tried to rape her, so he ended up in prison. So he went from being a slave... To being a prisoner. And he was in prison for many years. And it wasn't until years later that he interpreted a king's dream, he got out of prison, ended up, God blessed him, he became in charge of all of Egypt. And there was a famine in the land. And so people were hungry and out of food. And it just so happened that Joseph's brothers came to Egypt looking for food, and they were bowing down to him. They didn't know it was him, but they were bowing down to him asking for food. So it was 13 years that it took for Joseph to go from his dream to his destiny. And in that 13 years, he had many pitfalls in that road. And I just read a great book by Robert Morris called From Dream to Destiny. And in there, it talks about 10 tests that you must go through to fulfill God's purpose in your life. And tonight, I just want to talk about five of those. Now you may love God and even have big amazing dreams in your heart that are planted by him and that's awesome and I hope you do, but without the character of God on the inside of us, we won't get very far. He allows us to go through these tests so that we're prepared to succeed when we get there. So the first test I want to talk about tonight is the pride test. Now, Joseph was obviously full of pride when he told his brothers about his dream, right? And we are all full of pride in different ways. Um, Usually when you think of pride, you might think, oh, you know, arrogant, somebody that boasts all the time or brags or says they're really great. Um, And really, that's taking the glory off of God and putting it on yourself. And that's not the way we should do it. Um, Maybe you're not a boastful person, but maybe you really care what others think about you. I know for me, I've always, thought, I've always had this pet peeve like, oh, I hate it when people think I'm stupid, right? Like if they kind of talk condescending to me or they're like, oh, let me explain this to you. I'm like, yeah, I get it. I, I've done it before, okay. You know, I just, I thought that was a pet peeve. But really, when I was studying the, for this message, I'm like, you know what? That's pride. It's just pride. I'm afraid of what people think of me. I want them to think I'm smart and I know what I'm doing, right? So it's just a form of pride. Any time we pass judgment on the behavior of others, that's a prideful attitude. Think about it. I cannot believe the way they spend their money. Oh, I can't believe that bad decision. I can't believe they're doing this. Aren't we just passing judgment on them? And that's all a form of pride. It's really a heart issue, isn't it? Matthew 12:34 says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Sometimes aren't you amazed at what comes out of your mouth? You're like, where did that come from? Actually, it came from your heart. So there's just a little reality check. God knew that Joseph was prideful when he gave him the dream, just like he knows that we're prideful, but we need to expose that pride and deal with it before our destiny can be fulfilled. And even if we've passed the pride test several times before, we'll continue to take that test as long as we live, just at different levels. So the second test tonight I want to talk about is the pit test. Now Joseph was literally in a pit, but we find ourselves in a pit a lot, don't we, just because of life? It's part of life. Um, John 16:33 says, in this world you will have trouble. That's just a great encouraging verse, I know. <laughs> but we live in a sinful world, right? Sometimes sin just shows up uninvited, and sometimes we bring it on ourselves, don't we? And we find it much easier to blame others for our problems instead of taking a good hard look at ourselves. We adopt the victim mentality. Just look at Joseph. In the beginning, he blamed his brothers for throwing him in that pit, but it was really his prideful attitude that got him there. The pit is a dangerous place because it's full of lies. Lies of accusation, lies of hopelessness. And if you believe these lies you can stay in the pit indefinitely. If you want to get out of the pit, you have to learn to discern the enemy's lies and resist them with the truth of God's word. And the, the enemy is the accuser. It says in Revelation 12:10 that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. When you fall into a pit, the enemy will immediately begin to accuse you. You messed up. You're no good. You'll never be good enough. Your marriage is a wreck. Your kids don't even like you. You need to resist those thoughts and consider where they're coming from, right? Have you ever heard anyone say, consider the source? And the source of those lies is the enemy. He's the accuser and the liar. Now, there's a difference between being accused by the enemy and being convicted by the Holy Spirit. And you know how you can tell the difference? Because the Holy Spirit always brings hope. Conviction from the Holy Spirit says, Yes, you did do wrong. But if you confess, I will help you to overcome. Now Joseph was being accused by the enemy as well. Your dreams are over. You're going to die in this pit. If you don't die here, then you went to prison. You're going to die. God doesn't care about you. Because not only does the enemy accuse you, he also accuses God. Look what God allowed to happen to you. God is not faithful to you. If he were, this never would have happened, right? But we know that God is faithful. We know his word is true. But when we're in the pit, the enemy will try to get our focus on our circumstances rather than on God's faithfulness. So it's a dangerous place to be. So what is the purpose of the pit test? Why does he allow us to go through that? The purpose of the pit test is to get us to cry out to God. When we are in a place that we're so far down that we don't know how we're gonna get out, we need him. And that's where he wants us to be. And No matter what pit you're in, even if you dug it yourself, God is big enough to get you out of it. It's not hard for him, he actually enjoys it. He specializes in delivering. He, He loves you to call in his name. And you may be in multiple pits. Maybe your finances are in the pits, maybe your marriage is in the pits your relationship with your kids, maybe you're struggling with an addiction. The question is not whether God can deliver you from the pit. It's whether you will humble yourself and cry out to him rather than complain and continue to blame others. All right, the third test tonight I want to look at is the perseverance test. Another encouraging thought. Obedience to God is no guarantee that bad things will never happen. Even if we're obedient, you know, before John 16, 33 said, yes, you will have trouble. But even if you're obedient, you'll have trouble. Sometimes, just like Joseph, we can do the right thing and still get bad results. When Potiphar's wife came onto Joseph and tried to get him to sleep with her, he did the right thing. He ran away and he did what was right, but she still lied about him and he went to jail for rape. Has anyone ever lied about you or spread false statements about you? Have you obeyed God when He asked you to do something and it still didn't turn out how you thought it would? Maybe you're doing the right thing, you're just living your life, and maybe you're trying to have a child, and maybe you've been trying and trying. You're like, God, I, I, what have I done to deserve this? The perseverance test is the longest test, it could last for years. And when we do the right thing and end up in a long and difficult trial, this is when we learn to persevere. Romans 5, 3-5 said, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So trials produce perseverance, and according to the Bible, there's no other way to get it, unfortunately. I can't just pray over you tonight that you will be imparted perseverance. It doesn't work that way. So why don't we allow that trial to do a valuable work in our lives James 1, 2, and 3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, I know we all want perseverance and patience, right? We want patience and we want it now, which doesn't really work. It comes through the testing of our faith. So we know that when we go through trials, it will produce patience, and patience can be described as waiting with contentment, which sounds like an oxymoron to me. But how many of you, like me, when you go to the grocery store, you always pick the wrong line? Are you like me? Yeah. You're like, oh, you're strategizing. Okay, how many items do they have in their cart? I think that one will go faster, right? Well, one day I was at Cub, and... Um, It was the middle of the afternoon, so it wasn't a real busy time, so there was one checkout lane open. And I was on my way to pick up Logan from school, and I thought, I'll just run in there real quick, I need like three things for tonight, and then I'll just go grab him. So I had my three things, and I'm coming up to the register, and out of the corner of my eye, I could see this woman in her cart coming up. You know the one that's overflowing, underneath is all stacked up. I mean, she could barely push the thing, right? And so we're coming up to the line and I'm thinking, surely, surely she sees that I have three items in my hand, right? Of course she's gonna let me go in front of her if she beats me there, right? So I'm coming up and I don't know how, I don't know how it happened, but she maneuvered that big old cart with all the stuff right in front of me. And I'm standing with three items, like, really? Ma'am, really? (laughs) I mean, I I couldn't believe she couldn't see the steam coming out of my ears. I I just couldn't believe it. I I stood there for 15 minutes. I'm like, then you're like, should I just go put the items back? I mean, I don't have time for this. My son's going to be waiting for me at school, wondering where I am. And the whole time, you know, I'm kind of shifting my weight, you know, looking at the checkout girl, rolling my eyes, you know. (laughs) finally, like 15 minutes later, I get up there, throw my stuff down, you know, and never fails the checkout person. So you're from River Valley, right? (laughs) Yes, I am. I was just waiting with contentment back there, you know, just, just waiting. I have all the time in the world. So I have learned, I have learned through so many times that, you know what? I just say every single person I see right now goes to River Valley. I just, they all do, and I love them all, and I am gonna be so patient. So, that is what I have decided, because it never fails. <gasps> Having a bad day, and there's someone from the church looking at you, that you should be an example. So, but there, there's a difference between patience and perseverance, perseverance is similar. And that we're waiting, but perseverance also includes fighting the battle while we're waiting. Perseverance takes longer than patience. You can't get perseverance in a week. And when the trial you're going through seems to go on forever, when months turn into years and still you must stand in faith, this is the test of perseverance. When the enemy attacks you with thoughts of doubt and hopelessness, this is the test of perseverance. And you have to fight the good fight during this test. Joseph's trial lasted for 13 years. For 13 years, it looked like God had forgotten him. For 13 years, he had to battle his negative thoughts and keep his focus on God. For 13 years, he had to keep believing what God said was true. And he had to have patience while the trial went on year after year. But he had to do more than just wait with contentment. He had to wait with earnest faith in God, and that is perseverance. Now, Joseph wasn't the only Bible character that had to wait and learn to persevere. Abraham had to wait 25 years for the promise of his son. Moses had to wait 40 years in the wilderness before he stepped into his destiny. And Joseph could have become bitter towards his brothers, toward the Egyptians, towards God. But instead, he kept his heart right. He kept his focus on God, and he persevered. And that perseverance resulted in great character. So while trials produce perseverance, perseverance produces character, and that character can only be developed on the inside of you. Because big destinies require big character. God won't allow you to step into your destiny until that character is ready. Even Jesus had to learn this by going through trials. Hebrews 5:8 says this: "Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered." Isn't that amazing? Jesus was perfect, and he still had to, he suffered more than anyone in the entire world. So perseverance is a test that we'll all have to go through at some time in our life and just stay focused on God and obedient to him through that trial, and he will see you through. The fourth test tonight I want to talk about is the prosperity test, and this is how you use your money. Whether you have a lot of money or you're barely getting by, We all need to learn to manage our money before we can step into our destiny. It's part of it. Every time you get a paycheck, you're taking the prosperity test. What do you do with your money? Do you honor God first? Do you return to Him the tithe, which is rightfully His, 10% right off the top? And then pray about how much He wants you to give to other things like kingdom builders and missions. Unexpected income is also a prosperity test, right? You maybe get a refund or some type of check that you weren't expecting in the mail, and what do you do with that? Do you save it? Do you pay down debt? Do you blow it on something frivolous? I know it's easy and fun to do that. But it's amazing how we pray and ask God for extra money, but when it comes into our hands, we're not faithful to do what God wants us to do with it. If you think about it, why would God continue to give us extra funds if we're not faithful with the funds that he gives us already? Whenever we get um, any extra income, we just, we just have a plan. We give 30% right off the top. And then after that, we give for taxes and savings. So basically, anything that comes in, I'm like 50% is what I know is available to spend. And that's just how we live. We're like, God, 30%. That's what he's asked of us. And so that's what we do. But it's a blessing to give that. And, and I hope we'll just continue to give more and more as we go on. But the most important thing about money is just to put God first, honor Him above all else. Proverbs three nine says, "Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase." Um, Rob uses an analogy a lot of times of an apple and letting God take that first bite because that belongs to Him. A lot of times we just want to give Him the leftovers, if there is any. Oh God, you can have if there the little core part. That's what's left over. That's not honoring. So we need to let God be first in our finances. We need to make a budget. We need to live within our means. And then learn to wait for the good things that God has promised. And when you've been found faithful in handling money, you will pass the prosperity test. And then God will be able to promote you. The last test I want to talk about tonight is the pardon test. This is a hard one. This is forgiveness. Can you imagine how Joseph must have felt when his brother's sold him into slavery, when he stood on that auction block and was sold to the highest bidder, he could have been filled with so much hatred and bitterness, but he wasn't. He chose to forgive his brothers. How do we know that he chose to forgive? Because it says in Genesis 39 that the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered in everything that he did. That cannot happen if you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart because the presence of God will leave your life you will simply not be able to move forward into the destiny that God has for you. And in his book, Robert Morris talked about three ways of walking in forgiveness. And He said you need to release, receive, and believe. The first one, release. To forgive others completely, we need to release them from all charges against them. Even though what they've done is wrong, we have to let them be acquitted, no longer guilty. Now, this is easier when they ask for it, right? When someone comes to you and says, Oh, I'm really sorry, I messed up, will you please forgive me? That's a lot easier than someone that's maybe continuing to lie about you, maybe manipulate you, doesn't even think they're doing anything wrong, right? That's the bigger test. That's the true test of forgiveness. But we need to forgive them and release them and leave the situation in God's hands. Because if we refuse to forgive, we're actually putting ourselves in the place of God. If you think about it, anytime you hold unforgiveness against someone, you set yourself up as judge and jury. You have made yourself the one who determines that person's guilt or punishment. When you do that, you're taking the place of God. When you make yourself the judge, you're actually leaving God out of it. But when you forgive the person and release them, you release God to act in the situation. You release God to be the judge that he rightly is. When you forgive someone and release them, you release yourself from torment. You release yourself from the bondage of always trying to make things right. If you don't forgive and release that person, you will live your life searching for vindication. And that's a horrible way to live. You'll live your life always trying to prove something rather than to please someone, and that someone is God. The second thing we need to do is receive. I think the reason that a lot of people can't give forgiveness is because they've never received it themselves. You can't give something to others that you don't already have. And There's something inside of us that just seems to have a hard time believing that God can really totally forgive us from some of the things we do, but the Bible makes it clear there's a connection between our forgiveness of others and God's forgiveness of us, right? In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. And if you've prayed that prayer, do you realize that you're asking God to forgive you in the same way that you're forgiving others? Matthew 10.8 says, freely you have received, freely give. The only way you can freely give something is if you've received it. And until you receive his forgiveness fully and freely, you won't be able to give it fully and freely. And the last one is believe. If you have a hard time receiving God's forgiveness, it could be because you have the problem believing it. Jesus Christ died on the cross to take away all your sins. He paid the price for everything you've ever done wrong. Psalm 103 verse 12 tells us, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Because of what Jesus did, we can have a relationship with God. It's not because I did something good or somehow I earned it. The reason we can have a relationship with God is because he laid all that sin on Jesus. And because of what Jesus did, we can stand before God without shame or guilt. And maybe you're hurting. Maybe you're hurting over what someone has done to you, things that were unfair. But why not allow that hurt to be given over to God? Because he's made a way through Jesus for every wrong to be forgiven. He has already paid the price for every sin, And now he's asking, will you forgive the same way I have forgiven you? Will you release that person fully and freely and let it go? When you hold on to unforgiveness, you are the one being hurt. When you forgive, you will be free. Free of torment, free of judgment, and free to move forward into the destiny that God has planned for your life. Now this weekend, again, Ra was talking about um, how each of us is a masterpiece, and God created us that way, and he loves us so much, and he has an amazing destiny for us. That's why he made each one of us different with a different purpose and destiny, and you know, we're going to go through these different trials, and he allows us to do that so that we can build that character, we can build that perseverance, and all the things that need to be built inside of us can only come through the trials that we go through. So tonight, before we close, I just want to leave you with a passage from Isaiah. It's Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, and it says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve, the purpose for which I sent it. God is saying that every time he speaks, and his words achieve their purpose every time. There will never be an occasion when God speaks and his words do not produce results. He says that his words will never come back to, his, come back to him empty. His words will always achieve the purpose for which he sent them. That is amazing. When God speaks, his purposes are going to come to pass. And that's so exciting because God has spoken over you. He's spoken over each one of us. He spoke his purpose over your life when he created you. The words that God has spoken over your life will not return to him void. They will accomplish the thing that he sent them to do. So just trust him. Trust him today that he's working for your good in every situation. Even if you're persevering in that trial and it's been so long and so hard and you say, God, I don't see the way out of this. He's with you. He's building in you what you need. Maybe to help the next woman that comes along that goes through the same trial that you're going through, that you're going to be able to help. So just persevere. Just trust God. He knows what he's doing. He has spoken over your life. And his words will accomplish what he purposed for your destiny. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the word that you've spoken over each of our lives, God, that you have a specific purpose and destiny for each one of us to fulfill. God, I pray that each person in this room tonight, God, would just receive that. God, if they need to forgive someone, if they need to forgive themselves, God, let, help them to let it go. Help them to receive that forgiveness from you. Lord, I just pray that you would speak over us, God, just what you have for each one of us, Lord. We love you. We trust you to bring us through to the other side, God, of whatever we're in right now. We trust you. We love you. And I just pray blessing over each one of these girls and women that are in this room, Lord, that you're going to continue to speak over them, God. Life and blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.